Hey, it's Elliot. I just wanted to give a quick reminder to hit the subscribe button if you haven't yet. We don't usually publish on a regular schedule, so subscribing will give you a heads up when there's a fresh episode to check out. And if you love the podcast as much as we love making it, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks. As the Delta variant prolongs the COVID-19 pandemic, the debate over masks continues to rage. Proponents say they're effective, a minor physical inconvenience that's a civic duty to protect our fellow citizens, especially those who are the most vulnerable. But others see masks as government overreach and an infringement on their personal freedoms. They question whether masks even really work at all. The science tells us that masks are most effective when you're in an enclosed space with other people for an extended period of time, like, say, on a plane. Wow, well now at 11, a flight attendant assaulted. The confrontation began with a pair of passengers refusing to buckle their seatbelts and put on their face masks. On the Naturally, commercial airlines have become a front in the battle over masks. And even today, there's occasional news of a passenger being removed from a flight for refusing to wear one. Today, we're exploring the decision of Delta Airlines early on in the pandemic to require masks on all its flights. They were one of the first companies to do so and to back up that requirement with teeth. Our guests today are three students from the University of Oregon, whose case study on this story earned them the top prize in the annual student case study competition that Page holds every year in partnership with the Institute for Public Relations. And later, we'll hear from two of Delta's senior communicators about how the company arrived at and implemented its policy. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. So you knew it seems like going in, you wanted to focus on a controversial issue of some kind? I would say yes, definitely. My name is Maddie Tu. Um, I'm from Portland, Oregon. Hi, my name is Karina Peterson. I am Carrie Wanis. I live in Portland, Oregon. I am halfway through my master's program at University of Oregon, um, where Karina and Maddie and I worked on this case study together. The students' decision to focus their case study on Delta was influenced in part by their own experiences traveling during the pandemic. Here's Karina. I had a interesting experience on United who was also trying to implement a mask mandate. And when I was flying down to Southern California, I boarded the plane, I sat down and there was a mother and daughter and they just, they put up a fight. They did not want to wear their mask. They did not want to have to put it on after they had their snack. They were arguing with the, the flight attendant. It was quite the scene and it literally took them being threatened to be kicked off the plane in order for them to, to comply. Also, you know, there was a gentleman sitting a couple rows ahead of me wearing a hazmat suit. So that in itself was interesting. But to be honest, Carrie had the firsthand experience of like the, the, the good parts. I really did. Every uh, touch point of the experience when you book your flight and I got notifications about the expectation of masks, every touch point at the airport, whether it's um, the check-in screens or at the gate, um, all the videos when you sit down that um, you watch, those were all redone. Everyone, all the imagery showed Delta employees and passengers and masks. So they really took every opportunity to demonstrate um, the expectation. There was also a a pop-up on the app, I think when you checked in for your flight, where you acknowledged the rules and agreed to them um, before moving forward in your check-in process. So just so many different touch points that really made it very clear what the expectation was and 
Um, so I was really impressed by that, just all the different opportunities the company took to reinforce the expectation and keep everybody safe. And they also did a really good job of saying why, you know, it's not to be controlling or create an unpleasant experience. It's to keep everybody safe and in the air. So they decided to make the issue the focus of their case. What they found was the airline industry was one of the first to take a massive hit early in the pandemic. Here's Maddie. Around mid-March, Delta actually cut their capacity on all their flights by 40%, which was an unprecedented cut. And it actually exceeded the company's cuts after the September 11th terrorist attacks. So it was a pretty big deal for Delta, um, the coronavirus as a whole. Um, And it was a really kind of scary time for consumers in general and travelers. You know, a lot of states were under stay at home orders um, and there was just a general sense of uncertainty. A lot of people were afraid and didn't know what was going to happen next. In response, Delta was crystal clear about what was expected of its passengers and what would happen if they refused to follow the rules. So Delta had already made the decision at that point to put um, passengers on the no-fly list if they refused to wear a mask on a Delta flight. And I think that concept and the firmness of their decision really drew us all in to want to study Delta and why and how they came to that decision. Maddie says that tracking that decision and the response to it quickly became one of the focuses of their case study. Whether it was the sharp reduction in capacity or replacing HEPA filters twice as often, Delta took swift and decisive action early on. Here's her partner, Karina, again. This whole project was just crazy amazing to research. If someone had refused to wear a mask, they refused to adhere to Delta's mask mandate, they would get put on an internal list that would essentially ban that individual from flying with Delta. Like the only other time that you really ever hear no fly list, I think the first time I heard it was September 11th. That's when after that you started hearing like individuals getting put on a no fly list, they're permanently banned, they're not able to to fly period. and. That's pretty close to what Delta's no-fly list during the COVID-19 pandemic was. Was Delta the first or the most prominent, would you say, uh, to actually put people on a no-fly list if they failed to comply? Definitely. And the most public about it, the most transparent. We got most of our numbers on who was placed on that no-fly list from sources that were directly referencing Delta's News Hub articles and uh, essentially from interviews with their CEO. Delta was very transparent the whole time, very firm, and always partnered partnered all of the information with the why they're taking such a firm stance. Carrie says that the conviction Delta showed in communicating its stance turned a potentially fraught situation into an opportunity to express its values. That was definitely something that impressed us, looking at Delta News Hub and even quotes in media coverage. Their CEO, Ed Bastian, had a quote, and I'm paraphrasing here, but something to the effect of, we don't want those people on our flights if they're not going to comply and put others at risk. And to have a CEO say, we don't want certain customers, was very fascinating to us, especially at a time when there's record losses happening as a result of this pandemic. Uh, We found that to be a really good expression of Delta's values. 
You know, I think we think about airline safety so much in terms of keeping the plane in the air, uh, keeping passengers physically safe. Um, So this is an expression of their concern toward passenger and employee safety, but in a completely different context, Um, more about a health concern um, versus a a safety and mechanical concern. So uh, we kind of saw it through a similar lens, you know, putting their, their passengers and their employees first, potentially ahead of profits even in a certain circumstance like this. Um, and really just playing the long game. You know, they might have had some um, initial backlash, which we saw pretty well documented in the media and in our research, but also just playing the long game to build that customer loyalty. That loyalty is important for airlines. And it's to Delta's credit that it sought to earn that loyalty by taking a step based on its values. But it's impossible to think that Delta didn't consider the implications. Masks were then, and still are, a highly politicized subject, especially in the U.S. So how do you go out and tell the world about a decision when you know it's likely to upset a really substantial part of your customer base? Here's Karina. I really feel like their CEO took the most non-biased way of contacting every type of media bubble to ensure that he was able to touch all those different uh, groups of people. Because that's a, a big problem with the media right now is individuals getting all their news from bubbles that are essentially tailored to their political affiliation or what they believe and going that extra step above and beyond to make sure that they hit Fox, NBC, C- CSNBC, uh, my goodness, Times. It's smart. It's really smart. What was the reaction like as they tried to spread the message in those outlets? Ed Bastian's response never really changed. It was always clear, concise, backed with facts and steadfast. It was quite admirable, to be honest. The news media strategy helped Delta get the word out. Social, as always, is a barometer of how that decision or policy is playing out. Carrie explains. That's where we saw a lot of some of the more politically charged conversation take place. We spent a lot of time researching that. The one example that we highlight in our case is a a former uh, SEAL who got uh, banned. They're referring here to Robert O'Neill, a former Navy SEAL who claims to have himself killed Osama bin Laden. He has almost 420,000 followers on Twitter. Former SEAL Team 6 legend Robert O'Neill posted this selfie aboard a Delta flight with the message, I am not a blank. Delta but of course, it takes off, it gets reported on Fox, and people really, you know, latch on to the fact that this kind of American hero sort of person got kicked off of a Delta flight or banned from a Delta flight uh, because of his non-compliance. So there's a little bit of a he said, he said, she said going on as far as what exactly happened. But um, it was, like Karina said, the response was the same. Is Here's our policy, here's why it's important, and take it or leave it. And they really didn't get involved in the back and forth and um, the politicalization of it. So there were definitely examples like that on social media where um, people who, who wanted to make a stink did so. It got leveraged and took off, but it really, um, Delta didn't respond in a way that got into the back and forth. They just stayed very steady, as Karina said. I, I'm wondering what you think the company did especially well I would say their decisiveness and their willingness to take a risk, you know, and especially when things were a bit ambiguous, like we mentioned previously about 
the necessity of wearing masks. An environment that's politically charged around masks as a political statement. Um, just heightened anxiety overall um, in a pandemic environment in an election year. They were willing to take a risk and really put their uh, stake in the ground for what they thought was right, both for their passengers and their employees. And that's something I think that uh, other airlines, they followed suit, but maybe not in such an outspoken, strong fashion as Delta. Uh, and Delta really took every opportunity to to make it clear what they stood for and what they would and wouldn't stand for um, among their passengers. So that was something that really stuck out to me. For me, it would be the statistics behind all of the data that they shared. Here's Karina again. Delta always coupled their policy and protocol changes with an explanation as to why they've made that change in addition to resource material and references as to where they got the information to make that decision and essentially back the decision that they've made from both a scientific perspective and a medical perspective. That just blew me away and I found to be incredibly admirable. For a lot of people, the the why is what essentially will win them over to better understanding the decision that was made. And Delta just did a phenomenal job with delivering that through their communications methods, whether it was Ed Bastian and his live um his live interviews or the Delta News Hub articles, or if you're if you are a current Delta Delta customer, you would get email updates. There's the text message pop-ups. They never skipped a beat in making sure you knew when something changed, why it changed, and the data and statistics to back it. Is there a question that comes to your mind? You're like, man, I'd really love to hear from a Delta comms person about how they thought about this. I think I just two things off the top of my head. I think the first one is, you know, how, if she would know, how did they decide to take such a firm stance? Like what, what was that conversation like? And I mean, were people opposed strongly? Did that take quite a long time to decide something like that? Um, And then I think my other question for her would just be about the future or how Delta is doing now. If the, the brand and the company has seen more positive improve improvements or more positive sales and reactions since kind of travel has reopened again and people are more people loyal to Delta now because of what they did. Mm, that Those are great questions. I would also be curious if they're planning on continuing this level of Delta, the Delta care standard past the pandemic. That's a great question, right? If the um, mask mandated public transportation is lifted, will Delta continue it or will they modify it based on your vaccine status or what the, the future might be? Oh, oh yeah, the vaccine. Yeah, the vaccine status. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, yeah. Are you going to require vaccine passports? Right. Yeah. We finished up our project in December, so I feel like vaccines still seem so far away at that point. <laughs> we were curious, too. So we reached out to Delta, and we were fortunate to speak with two of its senior communications leaders. I am Gina Laughlin, and I am Delta's Managing Director for Employee Communications. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Wolf, and I am the Director of Customer Experience Communications at Delta. You know, we're we're really continuing to focus a lot on 
2021 and pivoting toward recovery and, and profitability and, um, you know, returning Delta to its place as, you know, the, the world leading airline. I'm curious, uh, when the federal mask mandate lifts, because I can only assume eventually it'll lift, uh, will Delta lift theirs? My impression is that we will, yes. I think that we'll make decisions that are consistent with the federal guidelines uh, in that case when that, when that happens. We want to make sure that we're staying connected with um, with our partners at CDC and uh, at Mayo and Emory and, you know, certainly making sure that we're making the right decision for Delta and for our customers and employees. But I expect that our, that our decision will be in line with federal guidelines. While there was no part of the pandemic that anyone could consider easy, the first few months were arguably the most difficult. The world had changed overnight and everyone was trying to catch up while navigating the anxiety that accompanied it. Delta looked for ways early on to bring clear information to their employees, including by leveraging their neighbor, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. By the middle of March, we were one of the first things that that we did um, was go out into our largest employee hub here at the Atlanta airport and host a town hall in person with uh, local members of the CDC with our then chief customer experience officer and several other leaders. And even in that time, you know, we didn't fully know what this would become, um, but just hearing what was on the minds of our people, where they had questions, what they thought they needed, um, you know, allowed us to, to kind of set the stage for what we would do. You know, certainly we were feeling similarly on, on the customer side. And our, our primary objective then and, and now still is, you know, that we restored um, customer confidence in air travel, were true to the brand promises that we were making, and were guided as we always are by, by their input and by, you know, what they needed from Delta. Um, you know, it was interesting because within days or weeks, it seemed as though, you know, the primary drivers behind customer purchase decisions went from things like price and schedule and very traditional sort of uh, metrics to um, decisions that were being made on cleanliness and safety and space on board. Um, it's funny, a couple of months ago, we actually did um, our consumer insights team led a, a second uh, stress study of our customers. They did this a couple of years ago where they actually outfit um, a group of customers with heart rate monitors and Fitbits, and they, uh, they, they track those customers through the journey to understand, you know, where, does heart, where do heart rates go up? Where, where are they experiencing more stress and anxiety? Um, and they did it once before COVID. And so we had sort of an interesting baseline for just where a customer experiences stress throughout travel. And then they did it again a, a couple of months ago. 
And it was interesting to see. I mean, certainly there was a lot of similarity with with within that study about you know what parts of the journey are are most stressful. You know, lines at security stressful, um, waiting to deplane sometimes a bit stressful. But one place where heart rates went down considerably over the course of the last study was the moment where the flight attendant gives the customer the disinfecting wipe when they're boarding. Um, and it was sort of across the board, you saw this very, uh, this just decrease in every sort of biometric uh, marker of stress when the flight attendant hands a customer that wipe. Um, and it seems like such a simple thing, but it was just another way of kind of reiterating, we've got you. More than any other time in recent memory, the pandemic has brought to the forefront the comms function. Stakeholders are entrusting organizations with their health and safety, and the stakes just simply couldn't be any higher. You know, the role that our, that our team, our comms team played for the company um, over the course of the last year, you know, I've never felt like we were, I, I don't know that, that there's been a time where we felt more integral to sort of the, 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 the business and the, the decisions that the business was making. Um, our, our chief marketing and communications officer has shared, you know, this, this idea with us before that, you know, we, we want our comms function to sort of be at the, at the top of the pyramid for Delta, that we should be from a communication standpoint, helping to advise, um, helping to advise and guide as opposed to just delivering a communication. We've all sort of been on the receiving end of a, can you write a press release or a memo about this as opposed to being at the at the top of that conversation and really thinking about what we what we need to say. Um, and this has been a year where I've really seen um, a, quite a shift in just sort of how communications is viewed and how uh, how much our voices matter in decisions that the company is making about its customers and employees. Um, you know, thinking through what the communication consequences of, of a certain policy change will be, asking for our guidance on, you know, what might make sense to, to change or end or do differently. Um, it's not that it didn't happen before, it did, but it's I think that the sustained kind of focus around our recovery in, in COVID has really catapulted our function collectively uh, to a different place, I think, within, within the business. And, you know, that's a responsibility that I think we all take really seriously. And it's something that I think we really want to sustain, even as we hopefully get back to a more normal way of doing business, because the value that communications has in influencing the strategy is just very valuable. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at Page, please visit us at page.org. Special thanks go to Rivet Smart Audio, our podcast sponsors. 
Without their support, we wouldn't be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the new CCO.